You're listening to Yoga Crush, the podcast that offers chakra-spinning insights and winning strategies from inspiring yogis who've managed to create a thriving and crush-worthy yoga career. Here to help guide you on your yoga journey, your host and fellow yogipreneur, Suzanne Moscovich. You ready to flow? Welcome, yogis. You're hanging out with Suzanne. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I have another two-part interview in store for you today. This is part one of my time spent with today's Yoga Crush guest. But before we get to it, head on over to our website, yogacrush.co. And pick up your free guide, The Four Pillars of a Thriving and Sustainable Yoga Career. This will move you forward in your journey towards becoming your own yoga crush. And I'm thrilled to bring you the lessons that I've learned through these interviews through this guide. So pick it up, have a read, and you'll also get a couple of other goodies to your inbox just by signing up. All right, let's get to today's interview. Pleasant Siliki is an entrepreneur a coach, a creator, a teacher, an author, and a magic maker. She's the founder of Lil Ohm, a wellness and lifestyle movement that leads courses, workshops, and retreats using wisdom traditions and modern research to enhance our daily lives. Pleasance is based in D.C. and her life's mission is to inspire communities and create meaningful connections through yoga, play, meditation, journaling, reflection, laughter, and honest conversations. And that is exactly what she brings to today's episode. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Pleasance, welcome to Yoga Crush. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show in, in episode 21 of the podcast. And I guess Jelly of Curvy Yoga named <laughs> you as her ultimate yoga crush. And, and since then, I've really been following your work and sort of taking in many of your teachings through your online content and through your book, Delight, Eight Principles of Living with Joy and Ease. And I had an amazing time preparing for this episode because very often I'm, you know, I'm trying to sort of keep in mind what the Yoga Crush listeners and community would most benefit from hearing about. Um, but what I want to speak about today pertains to the obstacles that you make mention of in your book and that are also incredibly real for myself right now in my yoga and entrepreneurial journey. So the topics we cover are quite personal to me and I'm excited to to learn through your experience and to take our listeners along for the ride. Yay, I'm so excited too. I think on so many levels, one is being able to share the all the things that I've learned along the journey and help other people by sharing stories. That's one of the ways that I learn. But also, before I say anything, just really honoring my darling Anna, um, mm -hmm. who is just such an important person. Anna Guest Jelly, founder of Curvy Yoga, is um, just my rock. I mean, I'm so every time I text her like three times a week. I'm so <laughs> grateful for you. I love you so much. We have this love fest and. Mm -hmm. She is so smart and she is so organized and thoughtful and caring and loving. And, you know, one of the things that really um, inspires me is having these really beautiful, authentic adult 
male-female relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and on paper, we're sort of really different. You know, I live in D.C. and I have two kids and she's in Nashville with her husband, Nick. Um, and yet we found each other a few years ago. And I am so grateful for that friendship as a really a foundation for the past few years for me kind of moving through this. We both closed our studios um, in the past year. So that was, you know, just having these commonalities with other Mm -hmm. women is just like, ah, amazing. And being able to ground it in yoga and philosophy Uh and theory. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's so much of what Yoga Crush is about is lifting each other up and being able to talk about those things like closing a studio. Talk about what comes up for you during that time with with like-minded people or people who are going through the same thing and learning from one another. So I'm, I'm really happy that you said that. Yeah. To start us off, though, let's let's go further back in time. Talk to us about when you completed your first ever yoga teacher training and what were the very first steps that you took to pursue a career in yoga? Mm-hmm. So I took my first teacher training. It was at a studio called Hot Yoga in Washington, D.C. It was not a Bikram studio. It just was a warm, uh, heated vinyasa studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, went to the, the owners of the studio who were leading the training in 2000. It started in 2005 and said, uh, do you think I'm ready? Um, uh, and they said yes, which, um, I think most studio owners, especially now that I've been one, I think most studio owners, the answer is yes for people, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about the business of yoga teacher training as something that's kind of one of my pet peeves these days. But, Mm. um, but the answer was yes, you're ready. And I was a teacher in DC public schools at the time I was teaching kindergarten in, um, Southeast Washington in a pretty tough neighborhood. And my intention for taking teacher training was to, like many people, deepen their practice, understand more about these crazy positions we were putting our body in, um, try to understand why I was feeling so much better by doing this yoga all the time, and then be able to take it into the schools where I worked in. So working with the children, working with the parents, and working with my colleagues in mm-hmm. the school. Um, and so that my, my first few years, probably my first three years, um, during the year that I did teacher training and then the years after, um, I did a lot of subbing and teaching in schools, teaching kids, teaching families and other teachers. Mm-hmm. How did that then evolve into you opening your own space? Yeah. So, um, pretty much by, with a lot of intentionality and a lot of risk and a lot of heart and a lot of crossing my fingers. And, um, I left the public school system, um, at that point was just madly in love with everything that I was learning about yoga and at the same time around mindset, um, around um, law of attraction, around intentionality in living. These were all new concepts to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I began to to really, as they say, like follow your heart, um, but also with my head, not just with my heart, Mm -hmm. um, and started to kind of connect the dots into the transformation that was happening in my own life 
Um, and then how I could, because I'm a lifelong teacher and I've always been a teacher, I've always been a leader, I've always been a community activist, that's kind of in my blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very natural to just say, oh, well, now I'm feeling really passionate about this yoga. And when I left the schools, I was pregnant shortly after, probably like two months. And then it became, oh, well, let's start, let's create something. Let's get involved in something around this beautiful time of being pregnant and all of these things I'm learning with yoga, how to expand it to other ages, um, other sizes, other beings along the life cycle. Mm -hmm. So um, I searched and searched for yoga centers that would... um, that had family programs or baby programs or prenatal, and there was very few offerings. So I sort of rolled up my sleeves, started vision boarding, setting goals, planning each day, um, really integrating business principles of how to start a business alongside my practice, Mm. um, integrating those two together each day to dream of little Om yoga, Mm -hmm. um, which became, you know, sort of DC's like, really, um, first pre and postnatal centered, we ended up being much more family and community, but in the beginning was really about prenatal and mom and baby yoga. Um, and we created this amazing center from all of that work and thought, and it just was, you know, looking back, it's so natural. It was like the same things, the same skills that it took to run my kindergarten classroom efficiently Mm. and productively is the same that I use for running the studio, scheduling, hiring, um, relationships, you know, all of that. So, mm-hmm. so you did have a vision of becoming a studio owner. Well, yes, because I couldn't find what I needed. I see. I was, I was craving connection. I was craving integration between this new role as mother um, and watching my body and being feeling so spiritually connected to my body when I was pregnant with my daughter, Sailor, mm-hmm. and wanting to marry that with my love, this new love for yoga. Um, and so it was really like, I kept dreaming. I wanted a space that we could talk about um, all of the topics that are integrated with practice, um, health, nutrition, exercise, movement, spirituality, and there wasn't one. So at that point, I said, okay, it's time to step up and create this studio. Well, I can also imagine that, you know, pregnancy, all the changes that are happening, that's a really difficult time to all of a sudden have a career shift. What was that like for you? Because you were <laughs> exiting a pretty long-term mm-hmm. career and then entering a completely new industry and becoming a leader in the community. Well, I think that it didn't feel as sort of jagged or tense because of what I was doing during the day, like because of the studying, because of the learning about goal setting, learning about how to be sort of productive and create something alongside. So, and I've talked about this in other forms publicly, but that basically nine months, um, between leaving the school system and having Sailor um, was the Lululemon was coming to Washington mm. and it, we, there was no stores yet. There was just a little um, sort of studio. It was like a teeny tiny little loft um, 
as like a little showroom and they hired me to come on as the first community leader for Washington, for DC, when I left the schools. And my day job was to take classes all <laughs> over the city and all types of classes, fitness, Pilates, yoga, meditation, anything I wanted. So sailor's pregnancy, I mean, I literally would take three, two, three, four classes a day, get paid for it. Oh my goodness. The time and they paid for the class. So my whole body was full of all those good juju, like hormones and endorphins. <laughs> and I was like, I've been blessed. Like I just could not believe mm. the contrast between my day job sort of six months before it was really, really, really tough. And then getting this opportunity with Lulu before there were stores. So they sent me to Landmark Forum where I did leadership training. Mm. You know, we had book club, um, behind the scenes, Lulu book club. This was before the company went public also. So it felt like a family. It was very, very um, mm -hmm. private and small and community. And they had the um, Lululemon book club for staff where it was like this whole library of success, wellness, business, entrepreneurship. And you know, I went through those as fast as possible. Mm. So, you know, I just kept kind of knocking out like, oh my gosh, I felt so inspired by life, by the pregnancy, by my role at Lulu that I just fell in love. I was traveling all over the DC area, meeting amazing teachers and taking them out for coffee and lunch. And it was such an awesome time. It really was. So then you shifted from this dream job at Lululemon yeah. into a studio owner and yeah. you brought the studio to a point where you were making accessible 40 plus classes a week. Yeah. You had four part-time employees, yeah. 20 plus independent contractors and yeah. thousands of students who came through the door. Yeah. So from the outside, one would assume that business was just booming for you. What then prompted years later the decision to close the doors to the studio? The decision was prompted strictly from real, a real estate transaction, from the reality of trying to have a sustainable, profitable yoga center in a very high rent neighborhood in a city on a main street. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was coming. Thus, when I made the decision strictly based on numbers, um, I had already been looking for other spaces for about a year. See, before we opened our own location, um, we were in another, we were in another, um, like Lulu, uh, basically supported us. Like they had a studio within their Georgetown location. They let us teach classes there until we found our own space, which took almost 18 months. So I was aware that finding our space, especially because of all of our moms and babies and strollers and our seniors, like I can't just have a regular old small little yoga space with a ton of stairs mm. or something that's not, um, kids safe. Like I have a lot of things that need to be in place in order for our space to really meet the needs of our students. Um, and so I knew that the building was being sold. I'd been looking for spaces in our neighborhood for w over a year. So when the, the sort of the time came, the new lease came and the decision was there, 
I made the decision based on numbers with my husband on a Sunday night, late, late in October of last year, um, where we finally just sat down and looked at it. it was hanging over my head. It was in my stomach. I gained all this weight. I was so stressed out about making the decision. And we looked at the numbers and we decided strictly from the numbers, this is not going to be sustainable with this kind of rent and responsibility increase. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so what's very interesting is that that point, that decision from then I was able to start to, uh, be a little bit more honest with myself. Once the decision was made, I was in so much pain and so sad about closing our space that the discovery, the curiosity, the sitting with it, the meditating, the journaling uncovered and revealed years of over achieving, over striving, um, trying to please everybody, um, not feeling uh, good enough, that really started to explode. Mm -hmm. See, I could never, it was not an emotional decision to close it alone. It was too integrated into everything in my whole being. It took it to be a financial decision um, to step back and say, is this worth it? If the rent increases this much, and the responsibility increases this much for your basement space. Um, and you have to make less and you can't have all this support staff. Like, is it worth it? And the answer was no, because there was no, I had no more to give. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? Well, what I find interesting about that is I definitely see how it would uncover and, and bring all this, all this other stuff up to the surface. But in my mind, Choosing to let go of a studio that's so tied to your identity and your livelihood takes a certain confidence and it takes an abundance mindset, right? This belief yeah, that there's yeah. a greater opportunity waiting for you. How are, how are you able to cultivate this at what must have felt like a really low point in your life and in your career? Um, you know, I think that I talk a lot about, I went back or I made sure that my most foundational grounding principles for self-care and wellness were in place. Meaning meditation was non-negotiable, going to bed early, non-negotiable, journaling every day, walking in nature, all of the things that I teach became so very important to seeing clearly what the truth is. So my yoga teacher is Eric Schiffman and he's, and I quote him all throughout the book. I adore this man. And he says, he said to me over and over the past few years, he says to everyone, ask yourself, what is the truth here really? Mm. And from that place, we can be the observer. We can pull back. We can see what is really happening and how it's really affecting us. So that Basically, there was about three weeks where my husband and I had made the decision and I wasn't telling anyone publicly, which is extremely hard for me because I'm a very, very open person. Mm -hmm. um, and all my neighbors are students and teachers. I mean, this is a family like teachers had been with me for six years. You know, they come to my house like everything was so integrated that to keep anything felt um, really out of integrity and alignment for, with who I am. So 
I basically spent almost a month basically just at home, like alone, you know, with my kids, I dropped them off at school or my husband would drop them and I'd come back. I think I went on a retreat during that time. Like I had to really go within, um, and ask myself some really challenging questions about my habits and patterns. You see also, because this time I was able to pull back and say, Oh, this is kind of like what happened with the schools, right? Like Mm. I fell into this thing that I loved, love, love. It was my whole being. And then there was this tragedy at the charter school when I was uh, an administrator. And it was the tragedy that really um, invited me to inquire about what was really going on and how invested I was and was this worth it and kind of get those really juicy questions. Mm -hmm. And then this was the same thing. It's like the real estate transaction was the trigger, but because of my reflective and really curious nature, I was able to pull back and say, oh, maybe this is what I do. Maybe I create things. Like I'm one of the founders of the National Kids Yoga Conference, and it was a very similar experience going into it, creating it. I loved it, support, get it off the ground. After the first year, basically, really handed it off to Yo Kid, who was my partner and said, you guys take this. Like, I love starting things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I also believe that the spiritual path, if we're awake to it, helps us navigate these twists and turns. And I just want to live in alignment and integrity with like who I truly am right now. Mm -hmm. And that's going to keep changing. Mm -hmm. That is going to keep changing. My kids are now eight and five. Mm-hmm. That is a totally different world than when they, when I was pregnant and had a three-year-old or before I had children. So now from that deep, dark place, this fall and winter with going through the, the studio closing, paying attention to the practices, I feel so strong and so confident and trusting of the wisdom traditions that got me here. Oh, I have... There's so many tangents I want to take right now. I have to like hold back because you you really touched on a lot there that I think is so relevant to yoga teachers. I'm going to bring us back on track to the story for a moment. Although the center is no longer there right now, what I love about your journey so far is that you've still created a space for the community to Mm -hmm. thrive. And it's and it's still there. It's still thriving outside of yeah. the doors of the studio. So take us through some of the the new business models that you've implemented to maintain this lively community in a more sustainable way. Okay. So this is the part that is so fun and interesting and scary. And it's all the feels. That's why I always say <laughs> I have all the feels all the time. Um, so little Ohm, we actually had the lease through January. I took the month of January to say goodbye to our sacred space. Um, I'm getting the chills because we had Max Strom come mm. into our space. Who's my, I, I just adore this man. And he came, you know, I called him when I said I was closing and said, you can back out if you don't want to come. I know it's, you know, and he said, no, I'm coming. And we 
packed that room mm. with all of these amazing yoga teachers and students. And I was weeping and weeping. I could barely even lift my head. I cried like 90% of that workshop, but I felt so much love. The students and the teachers the entire time, November, December, and January, we're saying Pleasance, we're not just, you know, we're not these four walls. Mm. And they kept saying that to me, like, you're the way that we work together, the way we inspire, the way we want to live our lives, like that's something that nobody can take from us. <laughs> and so having Max come, um, and then we had a huge blowout, which I actually write about at the end of um, at the end of delight in my acknowledgments. We had the biggest dance party with <laughs> all age kiddos. We had champagne. We had food. We were just the whole room was smiled and laughter and so much love and getting our groove on in that space that we love so much. So January was that. It was like saying goodbye. It was dancing. It was being with Max. Um, and so February is really when I sort of like, okay, sh let's shift gears. Um, I had already signed up for my um, book program. So I was really starting to write my book in February, mostly um, as a way to help me clarify and transition to the new ways that I wanted to work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to sort of Okay, so if the the sort of limit is like, oh, we, you know, the studio was really the thing that was um, the glass ceiling for me. And now that I released that, it was like, whoosh, I get to do all of these things I want to do. And one of the first things I did was read the book Essentialism because my mm. um, ADD and like wanting to do everything to everyone needed to really be reined in. Mm -hmm. um, and so creating an online program, um, which I have now, I've run it twice. It's amazing and so fun. Um, you know, sticking with the things. This is the other thing I always say to people. I'm doing the same things I did before, teaching workshops in my house, at studios, leading retreats, doing online classes, working with clients and students one-on-one. -on -one. Um, these things I was doing before, it's just I was also running the studio. And so right. I basically took out the thing that wasn't bringing me joy anymore. Um, well, and especially that wouldn't have if the rent had doubled. Like right. that's the big thing is that I hadn't really like hit the wall. Oh, I don't like this this isn't for me. I'm very capable. And that is for your listeners. Many of us are very capable. And that quote, just because you can does not mean you should, mm. um, is just like needs to be tattooed on me because <laughs> probably like you, I'm very capable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I could run a studio and raise a family and be a good wife and teach retreats. But like, where was I in that? And what was my energy like? And so that sort of taking the studio off the plate and being able to focus on really being present with students and clients is like, it's amazing. It feels so free. It feels so good. It feels so much in service and alignment. So that's really is kind of shifting. It, it kind of looks like the coaching model. I mean, I have a lot of life coaches in my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm, you know, I look at a lot of the things that they do and say, okay, well, would this would this work for me? And how does that feel? And um, the book was a great way to get some of the ideas and practices and beliefs 
that I've learned and sort of spread them in a way that I can say, here, this is what I'm about. And if you're interested, there's lots of ways we can play. (laughs) So ultimately, you've got the same mission. You're still teaching, but you've changed the format. And you've done it in a much more sustainable way through online courses. Is that the mainstream for you? Um. I would say, you know, no, I would say it's a part, really. I'm growing it because most of the people in my online course um, and the students in there have taken things with me live at Little Ohm mm. um, or met me through the kids conference or through a friend or their family, something like that. But I've taken, I've taken the summer off primarily from anything other than online. And then when I go home, when I go back to D.C. in a month, Yoga for Women, which is a course I teach twice a week live in D.C. Mm. I'll have Thrive. I have some book talks. um, And then my retreats start. So I have two retreats in the fall. So it's really a hybrid. Oh, and then the privates. I do, you know, private, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to work with wellness. I work with, like, wellness professionals who want to start businesses. And we do little intensives. And I have private clients who come. The thing I think I'm still figuring out, like my truth is, I'm still figuring out, you know, someone comes or like, I'm not sure how or what I need. This is what they say to me, but I think you can help. And mm. we will sit together. This is if, if they come to me privately and we sit together and say, okay, and we just start kind of talking. And then from there, I intuitively can say, all right, you know, meditation, a grounded, regular, consistent meditation practice will be beneficial. So let's kind of talk about and, and experiment and work with some of these practices. Let's talk about what your home yoga space and practice looks like. Maybe we'll do some Reiki. Maybe we'll do some aromatherapy. And maybe I have some people who really need that life coaching piece, that mm-hmm. planning, that goal setting, that organizing. And those are the things I did to start a school and the conference and the studio and revamp my own business model. So I'm figuring out. Yeah, I love this because I think that so many new yoga teachers, you know, think that the only way to make money is to open a studio. Oh, no. And you are proving that that is not the case. How does the profitability of these new (laughs) business models compare to that of the studio model? Um, way better because I don't have all that that overhead. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are talking about at the end of the, like the, like, you know, last year and the year before we're talking about like, you know, $200,000 in payroll, like ridiculous numbers of payroll and rent and expenses. I put a yoga studio in my basement, right? Mm -hmm. I am able to see clients at my house or on the phone. I put my team down to like my one assistant, and I feel free. She feels free. Uh, it's just a totally different model. The profitability is like, it's beyond. I mean, it's, it's, it's really just depending on what I want to do and how much business. I mean, this is the big thing is I love to invest in my learning and my business and myself. So it's really being mindful about not spending all of that on more business growth mm-hmm. and development. Um, but I'm learning how to do that. And And that's fun, too, because I'm in learning mode, which, again, Eric always says, like, I'm just in learning mode and I'm sharing with you. Mm -hmm. And that teaching is so alive in me um, because I'm in learning mode and and here's how it's going. So it's Mm -hmm. fun, you know. So then tell me something. In your experience, 
what sets apart the studios like the mm. Moto or Moksha in Canada or Yoga Works that just do exceptionally well across the board from the smaller studios that seem to really struggle financially? The support. I mean, it's, it's the back end uh, is just a completely different model. When you have a corporation, a board running the studio at that high level, it's like any other franchise model, right? Mm. The layers of support. The reason people buy franchises rather than starting their own ice cream shop and instead they buy Baskin Robbins is because they get the name, the support, the training, the, the, you know, the systems. They've got the whole... See, something like Yoga Works could have, just like Starbucks or Baskin Robbins, can have some places that don't do as well as others because mm-hmm. other places are making more. You know, they have that flexibility. When it's literally you, your finances, your kids' college that are in those loans or in those investments, like, mm. it's a different, it's just a different scene. If you love teaching, see, this is the other thing. I and a lot of us are in this boat. We love teaching. We're natural teachers. Running a yoga studio is a business. Mm-hmm. So what I loved about those five, those five years of really diving into the business part um, was learning something all new and wonderful, but at the at, and wonderful because it kept me, um, you know, it kept me growing. It kept pushing me. I kept learning new things, learning new ways. I went to all the mind body conferences, bold MBU. Gosh, I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like my true zone of genius is around facilitating groups, connection, community, and teaching, and really being present with people. Um, and that is less what happens when you're sitting behind the computer, running the numbers and, and really working the business side. Um, which again, I ended up liking and I learned how to do it, but it was pulling the energy. So I think that, you know, when you have these teams and these systems in place though, you get the right people on the bus, the right people in the right spot, you know, Mm -hmm. as they say, and you don't have to wear so many hats. Um, and you're able to have these really high level trainings and create them and always have them full. Um, you know, it's, it's that, and it was very interesting. The last, um, there was a business of yoga conference at yoga journal. I mean, um, yoga Alliance put on a few years ago and the, one of the CEOs of yoga works spoke and I went to his session and it was just so interesting to hear the differences in how we run the businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, like, there, he is not the community member who lives next door to the student, you know, for the most part. Like, his kids don't go to school. Like, my kids go to school with other parents who went to Little Home. Mm-hmm. So the demands and the pressures, I feel like, on women, especially, who love what they do and love service, you know, someone would call and be like, oh, I'm late for class. I'm like, no problem. Right. <laughs> The boundaries were were really, really kind of gray and shady with me um, because I love my neighbors and I love our students, but I never, I didn't put the business first. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time I put people first, whether mm-hmm. it was teachers or students, and that's how I live. I will never change. So that's what I mean about like, is it smart for me to take on additional rent and responsibility? Probably not. 
you know, because I'm not going to enforce that you're the late policy. <laughs> right. So then what then, based on your experience, how do you recommend smaller independent studios start working towards greater sustainability or profitability? Or do you think it's kind of a lost cause? Mm. I don't think anything's a lost cause. I think the main thing to look at is the finances. Like is your, are your rents absolutely ridiculous to the point where that profit margin is not there, where there's really not an opportunity for you to grow and do well? Like, is it just too tight? The other thing I would say is that collaborations and collaborating. So what we ended up doing, and we actually announced um, part of the program today, is I ended up going to the local, the other local community yoga center and saying, hey, instead of having two places, let's have one. And why don't you hire my teachers and we'll invite our students to come and let's make sure that we have one awesome community yoga center in the neighborhood. And I will mm -hmm. do what I can to help you and make that happen. And we will partner on this. And today we just announced the family classes that are coming to Washington Yoga Center in the fall, which has taken a few months because they were just an adult hot vinyasa studio before. And now they're changing their model. Mm -hmm. um, and so collaboration is really a wonderful way. You know, if you have a niche market business to find another business that needs some daily, that needs some income, especially during the day in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And we always had income during the day because we had the new moms, we had the seniors and the gentle yoga during the day. We had toddlers. You know, if you look at your community um, and figure out who the leaders in your community are in the niche markets, then you can invite them in during those off times. Um, but I think that that collaboration and create and sort of creative problem solving model is like so important to mm -hmm. the health and sustainability of these small centers. I don't know what's going to happen. I think that the, the devaluing of yoga through things like Groupon, um, really hurt us. I saw teacher training on Groupon that broke my heart. Um, mm. I think we can do a way better job of supporting students in, um, in really deep study courses and classes and workshops and trainings rather than teacher training. Like 80% of these students want to know more about yoga and the only option is teacher training. And many of these people don't want to be teachers. So like there's a whole beautiful space for just more learning and in-depth learning that doesn't necessarily is not called a teacher training. Mm -hmm. um, that piece is really heartbreaking to me. I feel like we took all of our best students and made them all teachers. And now we have this abundance of yoga teachers mm -hmm. and people are looking for students. Um, so that I is think it's so tricky. interesting. So interesting. And it brings up another interesting point um, that I'm also going to tie back to your story because uh, I think it relates. So you came to a point you had mentioned in both your careers as an educator and as a yoga teacher, studio owner, entrepreneur, that you invested so much of yourself that you then came to resent the work that you were doing. And many of us have been there or are currently there as yoga teachers, right? We take a teacher training to 
to dive into this deep and meaningful practice and then we start teaching and then, you know, it shifts our relationship to the practice in and of itself. So I guess what I'm getting at here is, I mean, I've definitely gone to the point where I've sort of felt resentment towards my clients or towards the practice itself. In times that you felt this resentment, how were you then able to rekindle your passion for yoga and for your role as a teacher and a community Uh leader? I think that the two things, one is that I think I actually make the change before it actually turns into like a real resentment. I think that it's right at the point where like, if I had stayed in the charter school, it would have been that like Mm -hmm. waking up and having that feeling every day. The tragedy happened in April and I was like out of there in May. I, 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 I couldn't live with staying there and being out of integrity and alignment with some of the things that were going on. Mm-hmm. And so I had to change that before it kind of darkened me and like put the dark cloud over my head. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was the same thing with the studio. Like I feel like I jumped ship before the fall. I mean, many, many small yoga studios have closed since we closed like all over the country, a bunch of places that I love. Um, I'm hearing about them every day. Studio owners are trying to sell, but I feel like I actually jumped ship before I got super negative or resentful. I think that, um, because of practice, mainly because of writing, to be honest, because of being able to have a platform, whether it's like my blog or privately in my journals, Um, where I was able to start to articulate and draw out like what were these real feelings that were going on, I could feel myself rolling my eyes at like, oh, the yoga world and yoga this and yoga that, especially because that sort of attitude around like the fitness-based yoga that is really has really taken over a lot of mainstream media, Mm -hmm. um, understanding what yoga is, like that's super annoying to me Mm -hmm. because I feel like the real gems are in all of these other areas to explore. And I feel like it's our responsibility as teachers to teach students that and to explore that with them. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that I feel like every time I could feel myself get into a place that wasn't necessarily what I do want to be feeling, I would tap back into source. And to me, that's like going on retreat with my meditation teacher you know, reading or taking one of Eric's classes online, like being able to articulate to him. I have so many wonderful, amazing yoga teachers um, and uh, wellness professionals in my life to call my friend Anna and say, I'm really struggling with this. You know, what do you think? Like being able to express myself fully and authentically is just like the gem to keep it. um, It can be hard It's not going to be easy, but it's real and it's moving through me instead of being stuck into just anger and resentment and negativity, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and it was, it's very quick how that can happen. Um, But seriously, without very simple things, sleep, water, healthy food, like play (laughs) without those things, it can really take you over. So those are the things that really lead my life Mm -hmm. um, are those foundational practices. And Yoga is not, see, this is the other thing. Like, I think that when I started to feel sort of down on the yoga world, quote unquote, 
I was able to tap into some of my other practices and or teachers or philosophies that we have access to, things like positive psychology, um, going deeper with meditation, um, things like Byron Katie's The Work, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to find other ways to, to uh, learn more about Buddhism and the wisdom traditions. Like these are things that are super, they're, they're all inclusive and expansive to me. They're never ending. So I'm not really into asana practice anymore. I do a really gentle, you know, gentle is the new advance. Thanks to Jay Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I do all of that. Um, that's really what my practice looks like is just slow and mindful and soulful and just like, ah, it's so re- re- it's just refreshing really and interesting to me. So it doesn't look like, you know, hot power flow, chaturanga, chaturanga. And that's fine. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's evolved. And what is awesome is the practice keeps me open to continuing to evolve. That's the gift. It's not the pose. Mm -hmm. It's the curiosity. It's the exploration. That's what it keeps teaching me. Mm -hmm. So that's how it's alive within everything. And that's where it's your lifestyle, not your, you know, not your asana. So I think that that's a really important part to remember when you're feeling burnt out or resentful or stressed is just like pull back, get off the mat, get into nature. Rod, I took a workshop with Rod Stryker um, many years ago. I love, love, love him and, and the four desires and all the work that he does. But Definitely. he, he said, um, you know, I just don't understand why everyone's on their mat all the time doing like all of these long classes, <laughs> like go live your life. You know, we Mm. become obsessed with mat-based practice that we forget that there is this like beautiful life um, that's also yoga and also teaching us yoga. And and it's just so much more beautiful than than we can ever imagine. So that feels super interesting and cool to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think something that that we have to learn as yoga teachers and as yogipreneurs is that we can't always expect our yoga practice or perhaps I should say the asana itself to be this all-encompassing thing, right? It's hard for it to be a physical workout, a spiritual practice, stress management tool, money maker, source of inspiration, creative outlet. Like that's a lot of pressure to put on one single limb of this vast practice. Yeah. That's so. exactly it. And Anna talks about that. You know, Anna has Anna has done some really beautiful things for Curvy Yoga about that. Um, my friend Rachel Cook, the yogipreneur, mm, um, we talk about that all the time. Um, you know, I think that I went to the studio owners group once in D.C. that we had, and we all, you know, recognized and acknowledged that as studio owners, we needed to find something else to become our new yoga <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because the yoga wasn't like doing its magic the way it used to quote unquote, or we yeah. weren't getting those same feelings because it had become our day job. And you know, the e-myth that book talks about mm-hmm. it a lot. Like you can't be the cupcake baker and the, you know, bookkeeper and all that. It really pulls. So, but the good thing about yoga is that it actually the really, if you go back and trace and think about it is like, it does show up in all of these other places. You just have to be open to the definition of it. Mm-hmm. And you, and that's, what's awesome about it, you know, is like you're gardening. There is yoga in gardening. There is yoga in hiking. There is yoga in all areas of life because it's already happening. So totally, you know, totally. 
So Pleasants, we're going to stop here on this high note because a lot of what we have to come in our follow-up interview will help ground some of this wisdom that you've shared with us today into some tools and strategies that our listeners can practice on their own journey. So I want to thank you for sharing with us so honestly and with so much humility so that we can truly understand and learn from your meaningful and powerful experiences. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Before we say goodbye, let our listeners know where they can go to connect with you. Oh, sure. Um, So my website is littleohm.com, www.littleohm.com. And I'm on Instagram as littleohmyoga, L-I-L-O-M-M. And I love Facebook. I have a private Facebook group called Little Ohm Life where I just post daily inspirations and questions and really interesting podcasts and things that come up that I want to share with people. So uh, you can find me there. Amazing. And I believe you have a gift in store for Yoga Crush listeners. Yes, I do. We have at littleohm.com slash giveaway um, a copy of my book, Delight. Um, and so all you have to do is go to that website and you'll get a, uh, advanced readers copy, a PDF of my ebook delight eight principles for living with joy and ease. And I really want to encourage our listeners to take Pleasance up on that offer because it really is a game changer. It's simple, but it's clear and profound and it gave me a lot of insight. So thank you. Mm. Oh, yay. I'm so excited to share it and I can't wait to hear from everyone around how what they thought what came up for them what questions they have my personal email is all through the book so that you can write to me and say oh this was awesome or I don't understand this or this is the way I do it and so that I love connecting with people so please please reach out amazing thank you so much thank you And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with Pleasance. I'm so excited to bring you part two of our time spent together. I cannot thank you enough, Pleasance, for the wisdom that you've brought just in these conversations that I've had with you and in this interview. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. For those of you who want to get more from the interview, head on over to my website, yogacrush.co slash podcast. Click on this episode and we will have all the links shared from today's episode. Thank you so much as always. Until next week, keep crushing it. Keep crushing it.